Hello everyone, Chris Martinson here, and I'm about to embark on a very special series here for you. And this is around something called the crash course. I asked you what you wanted to see for content. A lot of you said, well, we want to understand the financial system. Now, if you know me and you've been around my material for a while, I'm a long form thinker. I believe in context. I believe that we need to have an appropriate level of background and shared understanding that's in terms of concepts, linguistically, do we share the meaning of words? We have to be able to have this shared understanding in order to have a deeper conversation. Look, times are serious right now. The crash course, I believe, explains a lot. Now, I'm going to present this all to you. It's Today's episode is just going to be one of a series of chapters. Today, I'm going to set up, I'm going to set the table today. And we're going to talk about the core things we need to understand so that I can begin to tell you how money is created. Now, it's really important that we get this because there's going to be some really explosive changes coming. I'm not going to ask you to believe me. I will provide all the sources. You ask any questions. Where did this come from? Challenge me. I welcome it. I am not asking you to believe me. I'm asking you to listen to me. And then you decide what you want to do with this information. You could ignore it. You could completely reject it with data, hopefully. You could say, wow, that's something I need to look into more. You could say, wow, I already knew that. I would like to get busy figuring out what I'm going to do about that. This is the crash course. So fair warning, this material that I'm going to present to you has changed lives. It's changed how people think about things. It's changed big time decisions they've made, where they live, what kind of properties they buy, who they have for friends, what they value, how they're going to go about investing, everything from their money to their time to their spiritual growth and development. This is really big material. So with that warning, I want to dive into this and talk to you about this, which is the Crash Course 2.0. In 2008, I put out this series originally, and this was right before the great financial crisis started. So I didn't have, that hadn't even begun yet. I started this series, chapter one came out in May of 2008. I finished chapter 20 at that time. There's 28 chapters now in the larger version at my website at Peak Prosperity. And those 28 chapters comprise the whole thing. Well, that finished literally on August 2nd, 2008. A couple days, weeks later, we saw the great financial crisis kick off, right? So this saying I had, though, was baked in to chapter one. And that saying is this. I said the next 20 years are going to be completely unlike the last 20 years. Now, that puts us somewhere between 2008 and 2028. If I'd been smarter, I would have said the next 22 years because that would have brought us to the big round number of 2030. You see a lot of stories and talk today about 2030 and what does it mean to get to 2030, the WEF, the Davos crowd. What happens by 2030? We all love the big round numbers, of course. You know, it's just easier than 2028. That's a weird number. But things are going to change so drastically in these next few years. I actually think that that prediction of the next 20 years was spot on. Now, was that me just giving myself some really wide, sloppy prognosticator sort of like a zone? Sure, you could look at it that way. But actually, I saw this as being a big, giant process that was going to play out, not an event. The collapse of the financial system, the collapse of social systems, the collapse of food order systems, these are not events. They're processes, and we're part way into that process. This series is going to explain to you why that process is on, ongoing and why you need to be prepared for 
what's coming next and how to go about doing that. All of these things are my most important life's work. Yes, I have a PhD from Duke University, MBA from Cornell. This work I didn't do in the context of any official university. This is the most important work I've done in my life. COVID, I did some good work there. Really poured my heart into it. The crash course is even more important than that. And by a long shot, if you understand the implications of this. So I want to bring you along for that because you already are feeling this. You already know that something's really wrong. You don't know why yet. I'm going to give you a frame, a scaffolding, a, a way of thinking about and seeing the world. I'm not saying it's the complete right way, but it is a way. And a, a good strategic scaffolding upon which you can begin to hang the ornaments of days, events, weeks, events, big world events. If they begin to hang on that scaffolding and there aren't a lot of holes in it and they begin to make sense, then this can be a useful frame, a useful scaffolding for how you see the world. So this is my scaffolding and I'm sharing this with you freely because it's important. I mean, if you didn't like or were at all alarmed by the 99.95% survival rate of COVID, you're going to positively be terrified by what happens when our financial systems erode, if not break down, what happens when we all start to lose our economic sense of hopes and dreams. So this is where it all comes together. The next 20 years are going to be completely unlike the last 20 years. I also, in this episode, in this chapter that you're watching right now, we're going to understand why I framed it this way and also why I said it was going to speed up towards the end. So let's get there and look at this. This is all contained. If you want to just jump to it, you don't want to wait for all of these things to come out. This is contained in this book, The Crash Course, right here. And you can get it. It's out in uh, the markets right now. It's uh, made it to the Wall Street Journal bestseller list. If you want to know the future, go ahead and read it. But I'm going to add to this body of work that's in this book through this chapter series. And this is chapter one. And let's dive right into it and take a look at it. All right. If you want me to cut to the chase, it's simply this. We're on an unsustainable course. That's it. Unsustainable means something is occurring that has to stop. It can't be sustained. So sustainability is all the big buzzword and it's out there. Da, 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 da. I'm using this word very carefully in the sense that what we are doing collectively as a species, right, as a nation, but also as a species, is highly unsustainable. The way we farm, the way our money system is growing, the way we're utilizing and tapping into our energy resources, the way we're going after the non-renewable natural resources, the ore bodies, things like copper, lithium, molybdenum, titanium. These things are all in increasingly short supply. And you have to understand how these things relate if you want to have any sense of understanding where the world is going. And more importantly, how you want to begin position, positioning yourself for that today so that you can skate to where the puck is going to be. That's my work in the world, and I want to help you with that. So I'm, I'm going to step through this with you. So the main hypothesis of the crash course is that um, we're on an unsustainable course, right? And it begins with and is rooted in the three E's with an honorary fourth E. The first E in this story is the economy. There's a number of big features in the economy we need to know about. The most important one is our money system is exponential money. Chapter two, I'm going to take you into the money system so you understand how money is created in our system. If you understand the system of money, so many other things then begin to make sense. 
So exponential money is a big, heavy, loaded bullet point right there. There's a lot wrapped into it. In fact, there's money in this concept of exponentials. So we're going to talk about those at the end of this particular chapter so we're all on the same page. We have these credit bubbles. That's what I said. This is a, a screenshot from my 2008 crash course. We had credit bubbles. Now we have everything bubbles it's because the Federal Reserve in 2008 had already inflated everything with magic money printing. And today they've magically money printed more in the context of COVID. We, they doubled the Federal Reserve balance sheet. We'll talk about what that means in chapter two. It's a really important concept. If you want to understand where the world is going, you have to understand the system of money in the Federal Reserve and how it operates. It's not that complicated, but I'm going to guarantee, almost guarantee you were not taught about this in school. Not because it's hard, not because it would have been inappropriate to learn, or not because it wouldn't have provided some benefit. It's just not one of those things we talk about. You'll learn about a lot of useless stuff in school, uh, and you won't learn about some really important stuff. This is one of them. Okay. As well, we have a demographic issue, particularly across Western countries, including Japan. Uh, the huge demographic issues to understand. And as well, in the United States in particular, a massive national failure to save and invest. That could include infrastructure. So there's a huge deferment of infrastructure spend, all of that. So that's the economy. So the economy is on has got these huge demands. It's got this exponential money system. It's got bubbles. It needs to have more money thrown at it. So that's that whole E of the economy. But that's meaningless unless and until we can connect that to energy. Uh, I've put peak oil as a bullet point down here, but I would add today other bullet points below that. It's really the concept around net energy. How much surplus energy? is the system of energy, the industry of energy extraction and delivery. How much surplus energy is that delivering? Really important concept. All of these are super important concepts. I'm going to string them together for you so that you can make sense of them. This is my gift. I can take very complicated things in my head and say them in a way that a lot of people can hear them. And so I'm here to share that gift with you, with everybody here today. All right. Energy. <clears throat> Energy and the economy, they link. We have to know how they link. If we don't understand the linkage between them, if we don't understand the degree to which the economic system is really dependent upon, in fact, could be viewed as a subset of the energy system, then we're going to be completely baffled by why the economy seems to lack bigger, can't get going again, tax this, don't tax that, try these policies. It just keeps sliding along, doing worse and worse and worse. Why is that? The explanation is you have to understand the role of energy, net energy, surplus energy in that particular dynamic. <clears throat> 30 in the story, the environment or ecology, the environment has two big pieces to me. First, it's that there are fewer resources that we can extract from that. I mentioned a few of those high grade copper ores. Um, lithium ores, things like that, oil. There's extractable resources that are fewer of those, and they are of increasingly dilute quantities, harder to extract, all of that. Big story, we'll get there in a future chapter. And as well, we have this honestly terrorizing, accelerating biosystem loss. So these are species, these are systems that are no longer working well. This could be the big oceanic dead zones, the loss of phytoplankton, things like that. Very disturbing 
the loss of insects. It's an apocalypse. It's astonishing. Honestly, fills me with a little bit of dread. We can't do anything about those unless we ground those into the larger system to understand what's driving these losses and how we might stem them and how we might reverse them. So together, we put these three E's together and it gets us back to statement one, which is, gosh, we're really on an unsustainable course of action here or a path. So this is what it looks like. I want to know what you think. Let me know what you think about this idea. I mean, usually when I present this material, a lot of folks will come up to me afterwards and say, you know, Chris, you didn't tell me anything I didn't already know somewhere in my gut, in my head. But the way you strung all these dots together, why aren't more people doing it this way? Why haven't I heard it this way before? And I don't have a good answer for that. Um, disciplines are too narrow. Professors, uh, you know, are, are too stovepiped. I don't know what it is. I'm a systems thinker. I like things from the top down. I like putting big dots together and then being able to communicate them clearly. So tell me what you think about this. This is the three E stretched out here. I've sort of wrapped some of those particular conditions around them. But it's when we see all three of these in frame at once that we can begin to appreciate the kinds of challenges we have and how we're going to get past those challenges. Because some of these things we face are actually problems. A problem is defined as something not ideal, but it has a solution, right? A problem has something that you can do to fix it. Maybe return it to its original state of condition, maybe even improve it and make it better. A predicament, on the other hand, is only has an outcome that we can manage, hopefully intelligently. So um, a predicament, um, as, you, as, a, as a population or as an individual ages, it's not a problem. There's really nothing to do about it. You manage the predicament of aging. You manage the fact that you have, like as Japan does, a declining aging population. It's a predicament. There's really not much that can be done about that. You can't encourage enough people in your population to breed fast enough to really reverse that over any shortish or even medium term time frame. It's a predicament. Lots of things are predicaments out there. So we are facing many, many predicaments in this story. And unfortunately, we're still treating them like they're problems. And that's a huge problem, if not eventually a predicament in this story, is that our leaders are, are trying to solve things that don't have a solution, right? They have, it's a predicament. We have to deal with it and we've got to deal with it as intelligently as possible. So uh, that's really important thing to understand. Now, <clears throat> when the crash course was first launched in 2008, I, I opened with this idea that I said, look, you know what, you know what's going to happen here? Um, I am going to attempt to change your mind. And I'm going to do that by sharing facts with you and some opinions but hopefully not as many of my own beliefs, okay? So we're going to dif differentiate and distinguish between these. So it's really helpful to know the difference between facts and opinions and beliefs. So the way I think about this is that facts and opinions, well, facts form the basis. They, they are the grounding for an opinion. An opinion might be, I think this, I, I might say, this is the most... Um, elegant solution for how you should go about farming. And I have an opinion about that. And I've got all these facts about this style of farming versus that and, you know, different practices. I might have an opinion about who I consider to be, I don't have an opinion about sports, but if I did, 
an opinion about who might be the best baseball pitcher of all time. It'll come armed with all these facts about their stats, right? So facts form the grounding for opinions. Beliefs, on the other hand, they're over here on their own. They, they're, they're different. They're a different beast altogether. And the grounding for beliefs is emotions. So opinions and facts live up here in your cortical brain region. Beliefs are rooted in your brainstem down back here in your amygdala, which is this ancient, archaic brain formation, right? The, the brain didn't develop magically all at once in some magic spirit of evolution. First, the worms had a brain structure, and then reptiles had one, and then the amygdala got slapped on top of that, and then the cortex got slapped on top of that, just like different operating systems stacked. Well, our beliefs come out of a very archaic form of our brain, which I'm not saying is bad. I don't say that the cortex is higher evolved and better. Emotions and emotionally grounded belief systems are extraordinary. They process lightning fast, right? If you walking up a path, right, and you suddenly, your eye detects a snake shape in the path right in front of you, you don't have to form an opinion about that. You don't have to consult your cortex and, and ask some questions about what you should do next. Your body will take over and react right away. That emotional, and that's emotionally driven, right? That won't come as a thought pattern. That will come as an explosion of sensation. That will be, you will feel very quickly as the dumping of like adrenaline and other hormones and things like that. But it's a very fast response. So the emotion-based belief systems are an incredibly finely tuned system for reacting to the world. Whereas the opinion-based system is a slower but more thoughtful, often more rational process where you are responding to conditions in the world as they arise. So this raises a very important point. What I'm going to do with the crash course is attempt to get you to see things the way I do, using the benefit of lots and lots of years of me trying to figure this all out and condense it so that I can hopefully save you some time. Because there's two ways that people change. There's two ways we change. Way number one is with that emotion belief-based system. It's also by pain. We touch the stove, we pull back, and we learn through pain, and we don't touch the stove again. We have a heart attack and we decide to finally take our weight and exercise seriously. We, we back over the dog in the driveway drunk and we take our drinking seriously. Pain, painful moments is a way that people change. There's a second way, and that's changing through insight, right? Where you go to, you learn something and it comes through your cortex and comes, you learn it, and then you change and you pattern your behaviors based on this insight, right? You, you watch somebody who's, who's really mastered and, and decoded true health and you begin to model against that before you've experienced any pain that's changing through insight very important you could go to a tony robbins adventure and be surrounded by people who are all there to change by insight learn from each other it's a wonderful thing we humans can learn from each other and actually change by insight or by pain honestly changing by pain is still the most common way like it's like that's got like 90 percent market share in this story but we can also change by insight. So to the extent you're one of those people, this is for you. I'm here to help create the insights. And again, accept them, reject them, argue them, bolster them, tear them down. I don't care, but I do care that you wrestle with them because what I have to say, it's that serious. Okay. So knowing that I am going to share um, several beliefs with you that I do happen to hold, and I'm going to share facts and opinions. So what are those beliefs? 
Uh, my beliefs are these. First, massive change is upon us again. This is a screenshot from back in 2008. I believe that overwhelming change is actually possible in this story. And I also believe that we can shape the future. These are beliefs I hold. They're, I can't really give you evidence that we're going to be able to shape the future in a positive way. But I believe we can. I'm a realistic optimist or I'm an optimistic realist, however you want to think about that. I am optimistic. I do believe we can change. I believe we can manifest these things. I believe that we are creators of our own experience in life, but that together, if we have enough of us creating in the right direction, we can really change this for the better. If I didn't believe that we could positively change this story, I wouldn't be doing this. I would not be spending my time here today, beautiful day out, by the way, not planting things in my garden at this moment, sharing these things with you if I wasn't an optimist at heart. Now, I say that because sometimes people encounter this material that I'm going to share and they come to the conclusion that I'm spreading doom and gloom or, you know, that, that I'm, I'm just somehow bumming them out or this isn't helpful. If you're one of those people, just stop watching. That That's totally fine um, because why aggravate yourself? Don't do it. Um, as challenging as this material can be, though, I promise you there is a there is a better future out there once you work through it that in order to change by insight, change by insight doesn't mean it's all roses and unicorns and skittles. Changing by insight can still be a very difficult process, right? You get the insight, you still have to wrestle with it because change is hard, right? And most things don't want to change, right? We are all creatures of habit. And I'm here saying, what am I saying? I'm saying massive changes upon us. A lot of people that right there, they're like, oh, that's a non-starter. I don't want to hear that. Totally fine. That overwhelming change is possible is a belief of mine, meaning that this thing that we're all inhabiting that provides all our sustenance and wonderful, worldly, amazing, easy, high living standards, that that world could change abruptly, that it could break rather suddenly, that I could imagine 10 scenarios that could cause the food trucks to stop rolling into cities. And trust me, things get really dangerously, overwhelmingly changey really quick if that happens. Two, three days at most, right? Um, so at any rate, these are my beliefs. I do hold them. They're grounded in this. So um, idea of, you know, these are, I hold those with, with some emotion. I, I like, I care. I care a lot that, that we, that I have hope embedded in the idea that we can change the future. Now, so quick aside, pro tip, if you're debating somebody, if you're in the area of them, of facts and opinions, you can debate them, you can debate them, it can even get heated, but fundamentally that stays pretty rational. If you touch into somebody's belief systems, you can tell right away because they go, it goes right to emotions. They're, those are defended with a wall or a moat of emotions. That's that's our belief. So a big moat of emotions, right? So, um, you know, you might say an opinion might be, you know, I, I think this college is better than that college. Somebody might go back and forth and you can debate that because you're holding an opinion based on some facts you hold. What if you said instead, and this has happened to me directly, um, yeah, I'm homeschooling my kids. I don't believe public education is is doing the right thing anymore. And somebody on the other end of that explodes at you, right? Uh, maybe they're on the PTA, maybe their kids are in public school, maybe they're a teacher, or somehow they're invested on a deep level with that. And they will accuse you, or this has happened to me, 
uh, they've accused me of, you know, undermining the system and your kids are going to grow up to be, you know, socially retarded and all they say, you know, they've like, really just like, whoa, <laughs> what happened here? It's because the facts of the matter don't matter. What matters is that they have a belief system attached to that and a lot's um, us writing on that. So if you're in a debate and somebody is getting emotive, you're on a belief path. So this is something that we talk about at Peak Prosperity quite a bit, how to engage with that, how to manage that, maybe a friends, lovers, colleagues, spouses, dads, moms, you know, whatever it is. And you found yourself in territory where it very rapidly devolved into emotional landscape. It's because you were stuck in a place where the beliefs were being exposed and they're raw. So anyway, just want to share that real quick. All right. So with all of that out of the way, as background, I want to talk about something now. <clears throat> One more last bit of framing. And uh, then in the future chapters, we'll get into money and economic matters and then energy, environment, all that. So Albert Einstein said, compound interest. Compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. He who understands it, earns it. He who doesn't, pays it. Albert, super pithy dude. Loved how he came up with that. Um, compound interest, that's interest that then compounds upon itself. So interest, like if you said, I have this pile of money and it's going to earn 10% a year. At the end of a year, it's 10% larger. But then next year, it compounds because it's going to be 10% on the original amount plus the 10%. And then the year after that, it will compound on those combined amounts. So that's compound interest. Said another way um, was uh, this gentleman, Albert Bartlett, who is the godfather, the master of all things on this topic. He said, the greatest shortcoming of the human race is our inability to understand the exponential function, okay? Related concepts, compounding things grow like this. Exponential charts look like this. They uh, share a lot in common. So we're going to talk about the honorary fourth E in this story where we had economy, energy, environment, and exponential growth. Oh, Chris, I thought there wasn't going to be any math in this. There's no math. I'm really good at this. Give me, give me a few minutes and I will explain this. And then we'll have this shared understanding of exponentials, which is so necessary to understand what's going on in the world today. All right. So going there. All right. If I'm charting something that is growing exponentially, is compounding, it's going to create what's called a hockey stick chart. So that's a hockey stick. You see how it goes kind of flat for a while, but then all of a sudden the blade tips up like that. That's why we call these things a hockey stick chart. Now, what do you need? What what special conditions have to apply in order to have something grow exponentially to compound? Well, the answer is not much. All you need is something growing by some percentage over some unit of time. That's it. Something growing by a percentage over a unit of time, right? So let's look at that. What are some examples here? Well, does this look like a linear chart just goes nice and straight and flat? You know, it's like uh, linears like that. Compounding charts or things that are growing exponentially have that hockey stick shape. Does that have a hockey stick shape? Yeah, you betcha. Oh, actually, wait, that only goes up to 2020. Let's bring that up to date. Uh, there we go. Now it's up to the current 31.4 trillion <laughs> uh, as of the recording today. And you can see very helpfully, I've, uh, I've oh, sorry, 
Uh, there it is. Yep. And um, that's what it looks like there at $31.4 trillion. That brings us up through 2023. And we can see down at the bottom there, I've, I've inserted that little hockey stick. So you can see like the debt's growing along and then whoop, up it goes um, and turns the corner there at and just starts to go straight up. So all by itself. If somebody said, Chris, tell me what you can tell about this system, strip it, tell me I don't, uh, strip it off. I don't know that what this is a chart of. All you show me is those bars, those red bars. Take the take the X and Y axis labels off. Take the, the main legend title off. It, I don't know what it is. You say, what can you tell me about these red bars? What do they imply to you? And I'll say, well, they clearly indicate that the system that generated this data is an exponentially based system, that it's growing in, in a certain way. So I'm going to guess that it is compounding upon itself, that it has some percentage rate of growth that's applied on a yearly basis to all the prior growth that had already occurred. That's what I can tell you. This is an exponential system. So congrats. U.S. national debt is growing in a compounding or an exponential fashion. Oh, okay. There's implications though. What does that mean? We'll get to that. How about this? Um, hey, here's the number of people who tested positive for COVID-19 in Wisconsin. You recognize the shape of that chart? Remember case, case, cluster, cluster, boom, right? How how did uh, how does one go broke, according to Hemingway? Uh, slowly, then all at once, right? So it's this idea that when you're in a non-linear world, things go slowly, 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 quickly. That's the core learning I need to get across here today about exponential systems is that they go slowly, 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 fast. Okay. So in, I can show you chart after chart after chart that look just like this, right? So you and I, though, we are humans. So exponentials, it, it, we don't really get those nonlinear charts, nonlinear behaviors. They're very hard to embody. And they're very difficult for us to just intuitively get. So I've come up with a way, hopefully, that can help embody that, right? So like, like a, a baseball thrown, like if you've ever been near a, a watch a, like a major league baseball pitcher throw one of their heaters, like a real super fastball, it's just like released and it's in the, in the catcher's mitt. It's really fast, but it's linear. So there's a human mind on the other side with a bat that can calculate that even if it's just a tenth of a second and make something out of it. But even the best batter in the major leagues, if they find ice on their front stoop and they slip, they're going to be just as surprised and possibly just as hurt as the rest of us, barring their better reflexes. Because when you fall, you don't fall at a linear pace. You fall as the square. Gravity accelerates you towards the earth, right? So that's a square function. Um, and uh, 9.8 meters per second squared, right? That's, it's nonlinear. And so that's why it starts slowly, but then gets faster and faster. And that's why slipping on ice is such a, a disturbing thing. As humans, even though we grew up, you know, we, we evolved with nonlinear functions, but we're very linear. We do linear well, but, but exponentials like, uh, the, and, and nonlinear confuse us. So here is uh, a thought experiment I've come up with that seems to have done a pretty good job for a lot of folks over time who want to understand this concept a little bit better. And, and you should, because you are surrounded by nonlinear exponential functions. And if you don't understand them or that they're in play, this world is going to be wicked confusing. And the next few years are going to be 
extra confusing, and I'll show you why. And it starts like this. We're going to go to a place. We're going to go to Yankee Stadium. I picked one at random, and this stadium is going to get ruined. Um, it's totally random. I'm in Massachusetts. This was a very random selection. And here's what's going to happen. I'm going to do two things, first of all. We're going to take a trip to Yankee Stadium, you and I. Off we go. Two things. First thing, we're going to make it completely watertight. So I've just extended those bleacher seats around, and this is now a watertight park. It's going to be important why it's watertight in just a minute. Second thing is I've handcuffed you to the highest row of bleacher seats. So there you are. All right. Third thing that happens in this story is I have a magic eyedropper. And this is a magic eyedropper because when I drop a drop of water out into, say, your left hand, we put that one drop down there, and it's magic. And it's magic because that drop of water is going to double every minute. So after one minute after I put that first drop down, well, then you have two drops because it doubled from one to two. And then we waited another whole minute, and now you have four drops of water in your hand, a little puddle. And then we wait a whole other minute, and now we have eight drops of water in your hand. After about five minutes, you can fill up a thimble up. <clears throat> All right, so that's the pace of growth that this water is growing at, right? And remember, it's growing by some percentage over a unit of time. In this case, it's growing by 100% every minute. But we could still see exponential behavior if it was growing 1% per decade or 3% per year. It doesn't matter. Just to speed this up, make it an interesting story that moves along, this water is doubling every minute. Okay, so that's what we got. After about five minutes, you can fill this thimble up. So here is the story. Now we're going to go back to the stadium right here, and you are handcuffed to the highest row of bleacher seats, as I said, and you see me wander way down there onto the pitcher's mound, and I put one of these magic water drops down on the mound, and here's the question. If I did that at 12 o'clock, say tomorrow, 12 o'clock in the afternoon, at, when would that stadium be completely filled? How long would that take? So go ahead. Think of an answer and anything that just pops in your head. That's your instinct. That's the answer we want. First answer that comes to your head. Okay. You've got it. Here's the answer. At 12.50 that same day, that park is completely full of water. And I figured that out because I figured out how much water is in a drop and I started doubling it and I calculated the volume of the park. But you might be thinking, you know what? That Chris guy looks like a terrible estimator. I think he's really rotten at that. What if he underestimated the volume of that park by 100%? You, skeptical beast you, you can think 1251 if that makes you feel better. Because it would have only taken one more minute to get that next 100% because we've got 100% doubling. All right? That's an interesting question. I'm sure that sparked a few things for a couple of you, but that's not the interesting question. This is the interesting question. At what time is that park still 97% empty space? And how many of you realize the seriousness of your predicament? What time? The answer to this, drum roll please, it's 1245. At 1245, it is still 97% empty space. That means it's 3% filled, and then it goes over the next five minutes to 6%, to 12%, to 25-ish percent, to 50%, to 100%. It just doubles out. So 
wow, 45 minutes, nothing's happening. First 45 minutes of this, this park is still like, there's like a couple of feet of water in the infield. You know, you're up there, you're handcuffed still to the bleacher seats. 45 minutes has passed. Maybe you're ordering hot dogs. You don't really care. Five more minutes, it's over. That water rushes up the stairs. Now, this is a really important concept because that's the world we live in is a world of increasing exponential change. Some of it for the good, some of it for the not so good. Understanding, though, why things are changing so rapidly is rooted in understanding that we no longer live in a linear world like many of our forebears grew up in. We are now in this world of exponential change. And it's wickedly hard to keep on top of, which is why a lot of people feel overwhelmed, anxious, unsure. It's because they don't have the proper frame. Remember that scaffolding to understand why or how these things are happening. Okay. So carrying on in this particular story, then here's some examples of some things that are growing by some percent per unit of time here. GDP, GDP in the United States, gross domestic product. It is growing by hopefully three, 4% per year. Well, that's a percentage over a unit of time. Because it's 3 4% per year, we have to stretch this chart out a little bit. So we were looking here from 1950 on through current, and you can clearly see this is not a linear chart. This is not a nice straight line. This is actually an increasing line. This is a non-linear or a compounding chart. Because when we say the economy grows, it's 3%. That's 3% on top of all the prior growth that it happened up to that moment in time. And then next year, it'll be 3% on that whole pile, including the 3% from this year, right? On and on and on. So GDP, GDP grows that way. How about, um, here's debt. This is total debt in the United States, all sector debt liabilities, obviously not a linear chart, right? So, wow. So debt is accumulating exponentially, right? Oh, well, that's interesting. How about, um, oh, here's world population, 3 billion, at the time I was born, eight billion today. Uh, if I live to be a ripe old age, I'll probably live to see nine billion on the table. That means I will have been alive during a complete tripling of the human population from three billion to nine billion. It's an astonishing thing. And here, because human population is expanding at about give or take one between one and two percent per year, depending on where we are in this chart. That 1% to 2% a year means we have to look out across several thousand years in order to see that hockey stick shape, but there it is, right? It's very clear that between years 8,000 BC and 6,000 BC, uh, not a lot. Not a lot was going on population-wise. 6,000 to 4,000, not a lot. We're on the flat part of that hockey stick. Uh, right around, um, two, you know, right around AD 1, you know, they, right there at, you know, a uh, couple thousand years ago. Things started to increase a little because agriculture came along right around in, in back there. And so people were able to sustain more. But even as of, a you know, 1000 AD, eh, what happened? Humans came across fossil fuels and technological progress and development and all of the rest. And the rest is history. But you were alive at one of the most extraordinary times to be alive as a human. When there is this extraordinary exponentially larger human humanity on the planet. And that has both positive and negative developments given how we're looking at this particular story. So, um, but it's certainly something that is a condition, something we have to observe, something we have to notice, something we might question, whether our social mores, traditions, 
and shared cultural roots of understanding, those were formed during a period of time a long time ago when under very different conditions. So it takes human progress, no time at all from a technological standpoint to go somewhere, but it takes human understanding and cultural awareness and embodied traditions and a shared understanding of how to navigate an increasingly changing world. Those, those are slow. Those are glacial. So we're, you're, in a, in a, you're, in, you're alive during the quickening. This is one of the fastest periods of change ever. Again, some positive, some not so positive. What else we got? Oil. Uh, here's oil production. This is going to matter a lot more to you once we get through the energy part of the chapter. But again, all I need to convey right now, is this a linear chart or a nonlinear chart? How do you see this, right? Very obviously, this is a nonlinear chart. Like, whoa, thing turns a corner and shoots up there, right? So that's just the nature of the beast. And this is because humans are using about 2 to 3% more oil per year on a yearly basis, compounding it across time. And so that's a pretty fast rate of growth. So when we put this on a chart starting about 1800 or so, get my drawing tool out here because that's fun, um, we can see the slow part of the hockey stick here and then the shooting up part that happens there. What else you got? Oh, in the environmental side, we got a few curves to talk about. Could be forest loss, water use, species extinction, fisheries exploited, not linear charts. Now, why are all of those curves looking like that? Very simply because of this chart right here. We have exponentially more people. We're making exponentially more demands. And here's the part. We have to understand the exponential nature of that is the actual critical part. Because when your things are changing exponentially, things speed up. They speed up very, very quickly. Remember, in the stadium, 45 minutes. Not a lot's happening. Five more minutes over. That's the nature of these things. So this is the one piece I want to communicate with you about this part of exponentials. So this is all you remember. I'm not going to ask you to do formulas. I'm not going to ask you to derive any equations. I'm not going to ask you to do any math. I'm going to ask you to remember this one thing. Exponential systems speed up at the end. That's it. This is the one thing I want you to take away from this. That's it. They speed up at the end. You, you know, 1245, not much. And then 1250, off it goes, right? So that's the thing about exponential growth. You are surrounded by it. I could show you chart after chart after chart after chart. Number of Krispy Kreme donuts sold, airline miles flown, um, soil loss off of farmland, you name it. It's just we're surrounded by them. And this is why if it feels like things are speeding up, it's because they are speeding up. And that's okay. So that knowledge, though, just knowing that you are surrounded by things that are changing in a nonlinear, exponential, speeding up sort of a way is really important, potent framing that can help you begin to understand the world. Maybe not uh, uh, condone it, but you can certainly understand why this is happening and then take steps to help navigate that really rapidly changing world. Lots of ways you can do that. Many things that can be done. All right. So that's it for chapter one. Chapter two, um, I called it episode two here, mislabeled. Um, the next the next installment, we're going to be discussing how money is created. If you want to understand the banking system, you have to understand money. It is fundamentally an exponential system of money, as I mentioned up front. 
Once you have that key bit of understanding, you will know and be able to begin to understand how the financial system works, how banking operates, what's really happening in a way that very few people actually understand. Because you have to go out and search for this information and think about it and then have it presented to you well and then wrestle with it. But I know a lot of otherwise very sophisticated money managers who are blind because they don't know this part of the story. And again, once you do, things suddenly become both, you, they, they are explained for you and they become predictive. So that's the story I have for you here today. Thank you so much for listening. Please come by peakprosperity.com if you want to see the rest of the story and you're impatient or you just want to hang out with your tribe of people who think this way, have this context and are doing something about it. Until then, bye everyone. I hope you have a wonderful week and weekend. We'll see you next time.